0: Hey there, it's Kelly from ZinniMe. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at slash All right, on to our episode. As part of our live Q&A series, we brought in group practice owners And we begin this recording with Gina Aguayo, one of our group practice owners, sharing about her experience in working with her husband in her business. Stay tuned for more amazing questions and great shares from our community.
1: The best decision, business decision for my business was to pull my husband out of it. (laughs) And took a long time to get there, but I ultimately did. And we... A, it has done wonders for our relationship. We're not always at odds about what's going on in the business anymore. We're not, it's not coming home. It's not affecting our interactions together. It's not affecting our closeness anymore because we just, he's not involved in it. He doesn't get to have a say. Like he listens to me when I complain because I have a group practice. So people management occasionally gets to me (laughs) and I will complain and he is supportive. But when it comes to the actual business decisions, they're mine. And the people that I choose to speak to about them are my choices as well. And he may not be one of those people all the time. And it was really hard to get to a place to make that decision because I felt like, well, he supported me through this whole thing, right? Like he was there as I built everything and he deserves to be part of this. And there was a guilt piece and And it finally boiled down to, this is not doing anything good for our relationship. And if I value our relationship, then I need to stop having him be part of the business. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate what Miranda and Kelly are saying around our, our partners are our partners, but they're not necessarily our business partners.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I, and it, it can be hard, like really truly. And I know, uh, like we have a, we, there's a video on one of the I think on all of our business school pages that, uh, someone r- recorded with their spouse with the spouse was like, why do you need to join this business school thing? Like, this is like, like, this is a lot of money. Like, I don't even know and then afterwards, like they'd be at a party and this someone would be like, yeah, I'm thinking about starting a private practice. And he, and, and she would be like, okay. And then he'd be jumping and being like, you need to join business school. That's anything like it's changed everything about <laughs> her practice. And it's amazing. Like he's been the biggest like supporter. leader and supporter, but he didn't, he didn't know. And I think there is something that happens in terms of our, of our business building process too, of what Gina described is like getting into her intuition and trusting herself too, of like, Oh, I can make really good decisions. I can figure this out. I can, I can set boundaries in a loving way with my spouse um, for the betterment of the business and the betterment of our relationship. And like, I trust me. Um, And that's, that's a piece, right? It's not something that you would necessarily go in when we're working at an agency and we would go back and and ask our spouse, like, is it OK for me to have an extra week of vacation that my agency gave me? Like, we wouldn't ask that question. That would seem ridiculous. May I take a raise for my agency job? Like, you know, maybe we would ask if there was a change in something dramatic, but like that's going to impact them. But like everything you're doing in your business is like there to support the bigger picture of things right Lisa Beth is raising oh yeah Yeah. I just I know you got to go but or I have to go but I just (laughs) wanted to mention that um to the new ones get a battle buddy really invest the time in creating finding one and developing that relationship that was so key for me and I I've continued to get so much out of Meeting twicely by video and checking in daily uh, with my battle buddy. So I, I didn't hear anybody mention that, and I just wanted I love to that. Plug that.
0: <laughs> thank you, Lisa Beth. Beautiful, thank you. Well, for those of you who are new to the Q and A, we've been going. This is now our third hour, and we are focused on. you know, practices that are successful, group practice owners, and we have some business schoolers here today to share their story. Um, And you can post your questions in the chat. You're going to hear about their kind of path into creating this practice. And they're still on their path, by the way, that it keeps growing and evolving. Um, i show that Wanda James is here and Jennifer McEwen, McEwen, McEwan, I never say it right, but if you want to speak, can you turn your video on? Cause I'm not sure. And if there's any other business schooler that's in the successful group, uh, raise they your hand to. so we can see you. But in the they're, me-
2: they're here to speak because I know sometimes people are like, I'm just here for funsies. And yeah. other people are like,
0: I'm here to speak. And <laughs> if so we're we here to make speak, sure. <laughs> let us know if we missed you. All right. Um, for those of you who don't know us, <laughs> we're gonna do a little intro every time because I see new people jump in. I'm Kelly Higdon, and I'm Miranda Palmer. We
2: are both therapists um, as well as business consultants. We're the creators of the Business School for Therapists, um, and we are all about changing this broken paradigm um, of what it means to be a therapist, and you know, creating unsustainable workloads and unsustainable practices and we want to make sure that people can create beautiful lives and that they realize right that there is so much opportunity in this work um that when you get to that successful place that it's a beautiful thing with a lot of options in front of you group practice is one of them beyond the couch is another like there's so many beautiful ways that you can grow and evolve over time to create something that you really love and that has a big impact on your clients, your world and your
0: relationships. For those of you who are, maybe you've got the practice where you want it and you're like, what do I do now? Or I've been wanting a group practice. I wanna know what that's like. Maybe you've seen other colleagues and you've wanted to pick their brain. Our business schoolers have taken the time to allow that for an hour out of their very packed schedules. I know this for a fact. And it's not just packed with work, it's packed with children and lives and plants and animals and all sorts of things. So, um, I this is them giving back and I really, really want to say thank you for being here. I know it's a, it's a huge ask I, and Sonila's here as well. Great. So, Sonila will be joining us too. So, I'll start off with... Um, Carrie Anne Greaves, you want to introduce yourself, Miranda. You asked the question. You <laughs> format it better for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, So, introduce
2: you and your practice. Um, what life was like uh, before business school, and what group practice looks like today. Hi,
3: everyone. I'm Carrie Anne Greaves. I have a group practice in Weathersfield, Connecticut. Um, life before boot camp was starting out for me I had been in agency world probably for like 15 years at that point. I was burnt out I had just had a baby and I was on maternity leave before all the Facebook groups of boot camp and <laughs> private practice stuff just googling like how to start a private practice what do I do? what does space look like and I found a space to sublet one day. A week, And then I grew into an office suite within probably six months and was subletting to other therapists starting out because I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to be in control of anybody. I don't want to run anything. I'm just going to keep them over here and um, gradually took on some contractors as my um, practice filled up. And then I decided that, you know what, it's out of control now bootcamp needs to get me back into gear and figure out, you know, my practice was running me. And so I learned how to convert them all into employees. I kind of gained the reins with the help of Kelly and Miranda and um, built processes and um, having processes in place and having their support was really helpful for me because then my business was growing with my life instead of it taking over my life, and I think that's really important to know is that boot camp is going to help you, you know, establish those um, processes so that as you build your group, your your group is growing with you. It's not taking over your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I currently have eight, eight therapists that work for me. I have three um, onboarding in the next couple of months, um, full timers, and um, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Um, they are newly licensed, um, people that have come on for full-time and that is one thing, you know, when I converted to employees was I had to establish full-time part-time last year, we did that. Um, and you know, we lost some employees through the change of COVID and, you know, hiring last year, but I will say that despite losing some of our long-term employees, our business still grew 7% last year. So we had less staff and more processes. Thank you. And also more more income.
2: Thank
0: you. More profit
2: and less yeah. stress. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful. I think this is the piece too. It's very easy when you are in the place of like success, whether that's solo or group, to simply look at the number of clients you're seeing, to see the number of employees, the the size of your office space, and. And the all of these other places, but like what are the things that really matter? Being able to leave work at work,
4: being able to like
2: get home to your kids, being able to like have a sustainable profit, to have the kind of workplace that you're delighted to be a part of. And so are your employees, right? Like all of these other things to be able to take a vacation or to be able to be sick, to know that when your laptop craps out because it will, it's not a big deal to replace it, like these are all the things that are the metrics that really matter. Um, and I think that, and that can be really scary when you've gotten to a certain place, right? Whether that's a gross income goal or a amount of people in your caseload to like make a change, right? Brenda was talking about this a little bit earlier. Like I've created this system. I've created this machine that's like running me to make a change can be really scary. Um, but it really can be beautiful. We need to give ourselves permission to put everything on the table. This is something we talked about in the burnout training last Friday, that everything has to come on the train uh, on the table to see like what's what really makes sense, what really works.
0: So, Neela, I see you here. Hi. Hello. You, you want like to share where you were when we first met and where you are now?
5: Oh my gosh, I. Where I was when we first met was uh, really scrambling. I was a, so uh, when we met, I was probably a 10 year social worker at the time, graduated with my doctorate in psychology. Everyone was telling me go and find yourself an internship and work for $20,000. That's the best thing you can do. Uh, and I just went the unorthodox route. Thank God for the two of you. I, you have no idea how many times I think of the two of you mm-hmm. <laughs> because you've like saved my life, not just me, but my kids, my partner. And um, the reason I say that is because I came across you guys. I made a leap of faith. Um, it, I, you know, And I like sharing this. Um, I was actually on a link card at the time. I had a baby. My partner quit his job to take care of the baby. And I was like, should I put make this investment? You know, like we don't have food to eat. And my husband was like, no way. You gotta go to like, let's find a job. I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And so I remember I hired you and I was like, let's get this started. I was scared, nervous, anxious. But um, seven years later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in that long. Seven years later, which actually I have not been so engaged with the community, but I constantly like either tap on some of the things, or I think of the two of you, or I ask a question here and there, and I am in tap, which is very, has been extremely helpful. I This is how my life looks now versus then. I have a beautiful group practice with people I love, and we are, trust each other. We have fun. We go out from time to time. I go to Europe. Every year, once a month, uh, for one month, with the whole family, and I don't work. Which is like I never in a million years in those ten years before would have done. Uh, I've opened a nonprofit organization for orphanage, uh, uh, for an orphanage in my city back home. Mm-hmm. So we just got approved from the state of Illinois to um, that we are a nonprofit. Um, Congrats! So that was a big deal and uh, my life at home here is like day and night I mean I just it looks like I don't stress of course everybody stresses but (laughs) I am I am like where was I and where am I it's like two different planets I mean if it wasn't for your guidance and your expertise and organizing and giving resources I would have not our income as like from last year I mean we're making like almost a million dollars as a group practice with five practitioners full-time or actually four full-time and so just to put things into perspective they get a big cut they're happy with their their money I am happy we're you know flowing here in Chicago we're serving three other states now I want I can go on and on on how amazing this process has been has it been challenging yes at times there are times where I kind of like had to strap up and be like what do we need but I have, I have all the, the informations I need in front of me with the two of you and the Asana and the boot camp and all of that. That um, My life has changed tremendously. I'm, I'm forever grateful.
0: So, hmm. Talila, I'm so excited you got your nonprofit status, too. I know that that was a big effort. Such a
5: big deal. Yeah. I mean, to give back to my country and to give back to these little kids, I think I would have only done it this way. I don't know if I could have ever helped as a social worker and a community mental health.
0: What an impact.
2: And I think that when we talk about this a lot, there's a lot of therapists that are trying to create kind of a nonprofit mentality as part of their for-profit their primary income and they're trying to replicate what a nonprofit is doing with like a five million dollar grant or a ten million dollar grant inside of their practice and then they're they're struggling to put food on the table or they're like struggling to like figure out how to do that and yet when we create a sustainable business and a sustainable life we leave time in our life to give back in beautiful ways and whether that means volunteering for a nonprofit once a week or once a month, whether that means giving back financially, whether that means starting your own nonprofit, whatever that looks like in your life, we create space to do that out of the bounty and not out of this place of everyone struggling. So we're all in the muck down in this place. And like, it's not okay for anyone to like step up and go like this, I can't do this. Like it, this hurts my heart,
0: you know?
1: Gina, you.
0: I wanna hear about you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, when I found bootcamp, I was working probably 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week in my practice and bringing home somewhere in the neighborhood of about 15 or $20,000, maybe. <laughs> um, it took me a very long time to realize that no matter what I did with the model I was using, it wasn't going to work. <laughs> Eventually it sunk in and I made the changes that needed to be made. And immediately I saw the differences in terms of my work schedule, my pay, my stress level, everything just got better. So I have a practice about 20 miles Northwest of Boston. Um, we went from a practice of, I think it was like four when I started working it, with bootcamp. And now we are... 13. Yeah. 13. That doesn't include me. Um, and it's just been night and day. I, I bought a building in August, um, which was a huge deal and ended up throwing me into a huge tailspin at the beginning of this fiscal year, such that we had a major financial loss, major financial loss, which was like, oh my God, I did all the things and I still can't make it work. And I, and one of the things that's been great about bootcamp and working with Kelly and Miranda is that they do support you throughout. So I was in this place of that's it. I got to sell the building. I got to close the practice. I have to fire everybody. Like I can't do this because there's no way I can recover from this, but I'd done all the things that I was supposed to do in order to know that I could afford to buy this building. And Miranda reached out and she was like, you did all things like this isn't about profitability this is about cash flow which isn't something I had thought of so it's still a learning process even umpteen years later and And by
2: the way I realized oh we haven't done a great job of teaching cash flow (laughs) so now it's a lesson that's going into business school of like we're going to make this super clear or much more clear especially for practice owners so it was like a message back to me of like oh let's
1: let's do this better well I'm happy I helped (laughs) (laughs) Um, put in perspective that I did all the things I was supposed to, I did all the numbers. I knew all my, I knew all my numbers. I knew my profit. I knew everything. And yet it came back and it was bad. Like we didn't even bring in enough money to cover our payroll, much less our expenses in January. Um, in February, we had our best month ever. Bay state's been open since 2014 and we're projected next month to do even better than February. So
0: So can we just pause for a second (laughs) for any of you that are in that Freak out mode when you hold for a moment and you don't make big decisions with that feeling inside, and you more Carrie Ann's laughing because she also has been <laughs> in the same place as Gina, and maybe even Samila has been there. When you get above and you get a bigger view of it, usually it's turning. It's like a, it's just part of anytime you pivot, like Carrie Ann, when you went from contractor to employee model there's a crunch and then ah, you know and that's gina like you bought a building there is stuff wrong with that building you know and <laughs> there was life. it's a beautiful historic building
2: like and stuff happened stuff and then
0: here you are having your best month ever yeah it, aren't you glad you didn't close it
1: i did put it on the market <laughs>
0: building but not your
1: practice not the practice just the building and so well the the
0: building's a kind of a
1: (laughs) yeah so aren't you
0: glad you didn't close your group
1: practice so I went through every possible like I'm like I'm gonna have to cut salaries I'm gonna have to cut staff I'm gonna need to you know like fire all the people I'm gonna have to start seeing 30 clients a week (laughs) again like all the things like I did all the things right and Miranda was like breathe just breathe breathe I, I breathed I did add some clients, but I did breathe and we're fine. I'm fine. It's fine. It's all fine. I did actually let go of a staff member probably because it needed to happen anyway. And I just needed an excuse that was like easy and that was good. And it's also given me perspective. Like I was so used to things just working that I got a little lax in my own tendency to like Make sure everything's just doing the thing that's supposed to be doing. So it got me back to that place of, oh, I, you know, I need to take better care of what's going on and understanding what's going on more specifically. And in doing that, I, I think that's part of the reason why we're now doing so well. Like we're really on top of things, whereas before we were just mostly on top of things. Um, so it did have an awakening pro- moment for me. But more than that, like boot camp set the stage for. I knew what I needed to know before I made these major decisions, and so I had done all the planning. It should have worked, and why didn't it work? And it it did work. It just didn't work the way I thought it was going to.
2: <laughs> it didn't work on the exact timeline. No, there was a little bit of like a but, like overarching. Looking at the year, it's like, oh no, the profitability, the numbers are all there. It's just here is this cash flow. Plate. And
0: I think it goes back to what we were. Te- Speaking on last week during the joy rally in terms of that trauma response, how sometimes we have trauma responses in our businesses mm-hmm. and then we make decisions out of those trauma responses versus how do we get embodied, like lower our cortisol, manage the energetic field around us mm-hmm. so that we can make good decisions. Because I don't know, Sunila, Carrie Ann, are you at all resonating with Gina's moment of you know, panic. Uh, I don't know how many times
3: Kelly have I said to you, "Oh my God, someone's quitting," or "I I can't do this anymore. I need to just take clients and like shut down." Like I don't know every round of boot camp. No. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you're right, like that trauma response, and you have to kind of bring yourself down. And I think that's why it's so important to have both of your support because I don't know how many times my automatic knee jerk reaction as a group owner is, "Someone's quitting," or "Someone's leaving." someone's cutting hours and I have to jump into clients again. And Kelly would say, and where are you going to put them? And I would say, I don't know, like I have to figure it out. And and you kind of go into that response, but it really is about your systems are in place. Your processes are there. You are going to just breathe and sleep and not take every client that comes through, you know, the referral line tomorrow.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think this is, um, I know Sonia Sonia will share too, but Um, I was thinking about this, like part of what Gina and I did was we got on the, we didn't just like, look at this. We got on the, on the line with her bookkeeper. Right. And we looked at the, at the bigger picture like looking at the actual numbers of this. And that was part of the settling of like, even someone external from the, from the process. And there's another client Tabby, who's a group practice owner who again would have something happen and. And I'm telling you, Tabby has convinced me, like truly convinced me several times that her business was like, everything had gone wrong and money was not happening. And and it was the end of the world only to like, have her get on the phone with the bookkeeper and the bookkeeper be like, no, you made $10,000 of profit this month. Like, I don't understand what's going on because sometimes, especially if we do have money trauma, if we, if we have these other experiences Sometimes we can create a narrative that's not based in truth, right? So this is the other part too. Like we're, we, we have to kind of get back into the truth of our body. And sometimes we have to get into the truth of the numbers of like what I've built up in my head that like, oh, this means everything is, is terrible.
0: It may not at all be connected to reality. And I think what's interesting too, when you have a group practice, my experience in coaching many group practices is that it, activates family of origin stuff like no other when when you're solo it's one thing it's all internalized family we call it foobs family of origin bullshit <laughs> um i think i don't remember who coined that um chris Boxman. i think chris did yeah. yeah chris did um and then when you add a group practice that whole carry out like what she was saying about like oh they're leaving me now i have to take this on that's a family of origin kind of thing and it gets played out more intensely when you're a group practice owner. It really does. And it's an opportunity for healing, <laughs> of course, yeah. and working through those things in another lens. But I think it's really, really common. Edna, go ahead and post your questions. Keep asking questions. Um, so, Sunila, so were you going to ask any, or you, or you were going to speak, I think you had something to share.
5: Oh, no. Yeah. Regarding, you know, freak outs, I think at the beginning, I definitely considered Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, because I started out of network only Yeah, many times. But it's also so important, it's such a difference between working for your, by yourself versus with a group of, with a team, because it's also like, who do you attract, right? To me, what I've noticed is the more work I do with myself in terms of the trauma or what kind of person do I want to be or what kind of family of origin did I have? What can I keep? What can I let go? the healthier that group practice is because then you lead by example you hire people that you know you're they're not talking to one another gossiping it's there is a trust in that in that uh, setting where people can kind of like feel freer we have a diverse um, group with with clinicians and and uh, clients as well and so I want the brown and black clinicians to speak up and be able to kind of say like, look, this is how it feels for me. And this is how it feels for me. And we know that some folks, uh, some clinicians have more privilege, privilege, including myself looking white. So it's, it's huge. Like that mentality of having to work with yourself and like, is this person leaving me? And what, what does that trigger? You know, is it a rejection from the past versus really this person should leave in the first place because, (laughs) they want to do their own thing or they might not be a good match or uh, that's the logic speaking, but the emotional part is real. And for me, what has been inspiring is that um, again, a lot of work with myself, but also this team, like the two of you have been an amazing force of helping when someone is disabled, you're like, okay, not only breathe, but Miranda, sometimes I worked closely with Miranda lately, Kelly, so no offense to you, but she goes into my website. She goes into my website and she does her magic and I'm like, whew, I was stuck. I thought that this web, web page was going to fail and all of a sudden it's fine. So yeah, yeah thank you for everything. We don't That's take good. offense if no. someone,
0: like I, I wouldn't either, I'd be like, good. are you know. <laughs> it's Ke- all good. Kelly, did you have a question? Yeah, let's hear it. Kelly's just joined. Oh, welcome. Me? No, I've yeah, been do here. Do you have a question? Yeah, so... I hear all these people saying how they have all of these um, clinicians working
3: for them. In my area, there's, you know, everybody seems to be advertising and not being able to find clinicians to work for them. So, how do you
1: get people?
0: Yes, I see
5: Gina laughing. I, yeah, so I Nila, have
1: struggled, but I will wait.
5: Go ahead, Smila. I mean, this has been my experience. I usually, uh, I. I found some luck on uh, Indeed, you know, where a lot of people were applying, but usually I go with the word of mouth. I ask a lot of my friends if they know someone, if they know someone that's in the community mental health that wants to branch out. And anytime I hire someone, it's not a full time. It's usually you can make the transition. It's worked out really well because some people just don't want to leave right away. And they also don't believe me when we say we work without of network the fee is high you can make good money they're kind of like are you sure so skeptical but i usually ask people uh, around and so three people that we've hired are uh, the ones coming from my close close friends that they know them through work and they know the work that they do and they're trusted individuals they have good morals good values because you want to be protective of who you hire
0: i also mm-hmm. want to i also want to speak to those samila you how do you stand out as a group practice? You're very intentional about your diversity and inclusion and equity work that you do. You're very clear about the culture that you're creating in your practice. So I think one there's a lot of group practices can be like mills where they just like turn and burn. And then you can also create something that's it's sort of like what we teach in terms of marketing to clients, really standing out and what makes you unique. carrie Ann has a full insurance-based practice. So Neela is fully cash. Gina, you're hybrid, right? Mostly insurance. Mostly insurance. <laughs> yeah. So when you have insurance, the margins are really, really tight. I don't know mm-hmm. if carrie Ann and Gina want to speak to that too about how you've been carrying, you're hiring three new full-time. So how- So so what I did was, um, and this, I will say initially it
3: ebbs and flows. There'll be times where I think you might, you know, be inundated with applications and then there's time you kind of have to really get out there and do community network, word of mouth. Um, I've offered incentives to current staff if they have a referral, um, you know, to bring into the practice. Um, The three new people that I recently hired are very new therapists that are like just getting licensed. So what I did was I made a conditional offer that if they pass their test, I will cover the test fee if they commit to one year of full-time employment. And I found that that was really helpful. And I think too, just, you know, being clear in the interview process on, you know, how organized we are, how we have processes set up, how you know, I'm offer able to offer, you know, some PTO and other, you know, benefits to them um, has been really helpful. And I think just being available to answer a lot of their questions, because there's a huge piece of anxiety when you're like leaving agency, you know, world and coming into this world. Um, so really kind of helping with that. And um, we have done a lot of onboarding using, you know, the Trello boards, having videos for, new hires to review, um, going through that process and kind of really just bringing them on and supporting them weekly and not just throwing them into, you know,
1: the mill. (laughs) So we are, we're like 98% insurance-based and I have full-time and part-time employees. All of my employees receive benefits. Um, They all have paid time off. They all have sick time. They all have, my full-time employees have full medical. Um, We have life insurance. We offer an education stipend that is way higher than it should be. Um, (laughs) Way higher than it should be. Uh, We cover their liability insurance annually. Um, We have uh, weekly supervision meetings. Um, Our onboarding is basically a six month process I have a clinical director at my particular practice. And so she provides all of the onboarding and all of the ongoing support for the first six months. So they're meeting weekly with my clinical director while also onboarding. Um, And then once they start doing their clinical work, they have the weekly supervision that we provide for the entire staff. Plus they have a weekly meeting with our clinical director. And then I'm always available for additional consultation if necessary. So with all of those things in place, we've become known as a very caring, supportive, work environment. Um, The last four hires have all been agency clinicians who have decided they are done with being chewed up and spit out and are coming on board. And so much like Carrie-Ann was talking about, it's a transition. No, Sunila was talking about it as a transition and bringing them on in transition. And so they're working part-time for me, part-time at their job. The problem, it's not a problem, But the problem with coming on board and my particular practice is that I need six weeks to fill you up to full time. So the transition can be very quick if they want it to be that way. Um, And I think that proves to be scary because they're going from having, we don't typically do salary until someone's been with us a year, and then it's an option. They don't have to take it. Um, They come to, it's a fee for service position, so they get paid for the number of clients that they see in a week versus having X number of dollars every week that they can count on. And so that is really where we spend a lot of time making sure people understand. The other pieces that I found are helpful in hiring is being sure that we're comparing apples to apples when we're talking to people. What does it mean to have a salary at an agency versus what it means to be a fee for service in private practice? And then talking about what it means to be a contractor versus a W-2 employee at a private practice and why those numbers don't look the same either and what those differences really mean. Um, And that has been super helpful in getting.
0: Hey, it's Kelly. Are you enjoying today's episode? There is so much more to starting your private practice. That's why we created Business School for Therapists. It's our lifetime access business building program created especially for you and all the future stages of practice that you are going to go through. If you're ready to join a community that supports you, that to have access to a massive library of private practice trainings covering everything from creating your vision to setting your fee to getting you legally covered and more, this is for you. Simply go to bit.ly slash therapist business school to get started.
1: People to at least understand what it is what it is that we offer versus 1099 practices offer versus being employed by a hospital or an agency.
0: You'll also find, I think Kelly, amongst the group practices, they're all looking at the market and the landscape and where they can stand out. And one thread that is common amongst all of them is the intention that they put behind who they add and the kind of culture that they're creating. Because once you do that, then you become known. So like Some models are in business school, they go with full salaries. Some have some salary, some hourly. Um, But we have people joining group practices because of who owns the practice and they want to learn from that practice owner, not about business, but about their clinical skills. They want the EMDR and they want the trauma training, or maybe they're wanting the flexible schedule, or maybe they're wanting, you know, so you're thinking about who are the right fit. um, And Often I know everyone says like the market is, is tight and it has been for some people, but we've been working with them to find, okay, where do I stand out though? Like Robin Branham, she's one of our business schoolers realized it's not health insurance that made her stand out. She offers, um, student loan reimbursement. Like she's helping them pay off their student loan. They want that far more than healthcare in her area. No one else was doing that. And they wanted
2: student loan and they wanted to learn about the way that she works in particular, that like the kind of supervision, the kind of training she provided, the kind of work that they were doing was the kind of work that they really wanted to be a part of. And I think sometimes we really forget that the clinical piece, having clinical, real clinical support, having a certain amount of like clinical, I'm going to say autonomy, but it's not even about autonomy. It's like trust that like, I, I support you and I understand, and I, I trust your clinical judgment. I want to train you up as well. But like, if you say this person isn't a good fit, I'm not going to shame you for that. I'm going to say, let's, let's figure this out. Maybe there's something to change. We'll, we'll, we'll refer them out. I'm going to support you in that. I'm not going to say, well, you know, you got to take what you can get. And like, these are your clients. So here it is. It's this place of like, what does it really take for this person to go in and say, I really love my job. Like, Mm -hmm. I really love my job. And with all things being equal, right. Even if let's say you're, you're an insurance-based practice. And like, you're not paying after benefits and everything else. Let's say you were paying it equal to an agency, right? It's not usually the case, but could be you were paying equal to the agency, just the quality of life that you could provide. And then being able to like set a schedule that was doable. Maybe they're, they're moving from working 40 to 60 hours a week salaried at this agency to working for you and being able to get that same amount of income in 32 hours a week. And having one day a week off for their family and to be able to make appointments and like do life. Maybe it's just that like, oh my gosh, I don't, I like really like my clients. (laughs) Like this feels so good. Like there's so much that happens in that. So I think that's the piece. And I think we often don't describe that in our, in our marketing messages. We're just like, here's our, here's our thing, but we don't describe what it's like to be with us. Carrie Ann. I think reminding them too,
3: like you said, Miranda is. Like some of the offers I've made are close to their agency salaries, but I have to remind them this is based on a 28 to 30 hour week and you don't have all of the other you know, stuff. And I think that's helpful too, is perspective around, you know, my clinical supervisor. Um, she was part-time for me for two years. I promoted her to full-time. Her full-time is 20 clients a week and five supervision hours starting out she's making more than she was full-time at her agency job and now she's home two days a week with her one-year-old twins so like you know and, and for me to be able to say to her you know what come to me let me know what you're making at your agency if you're comfortable I'll see if I can match that and come to find out you know I matched it and then some for her And here she has half of the amount of responsibility as a supervisor for me than her full-time agency supervisor job. And it's been great. So I think, you know, just like you said, reminding them that their way of life is going to change and reminding them, you know, flexibility is so important. I don't know how many times I wanted a Friday off at an agency, but I couldn't take it because everybody wants Friday off or everyone wants the holiday week off. But, you know, there's a lot more, I think, just flexibility in hours and time where, you will find yourself sometimes not even wanting time off because you have enough.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that helpful, Kelly? So you're taking notes. So you have other questions or other people have questions? Like we're here for it. If you want to raise your hand to do a, um, to do a verbal question, or if you want to post your
0: question in the chat, like one of the things that came up at night, you're in business school. So, you know, you can always post and get your questions answered and we'll provide feedback and help you along your path. But one of the questions you had posted was around what's the percentage of the insurance fee allocated to pay the employees. And so we have that huge spreadsheet and we did a training last week, that was brand new um, that went over all the different numbers that you need to know and why we are so like, it's important that you pay hourly or salary instead of percentage wise But if you look at just flat out as a rough estimate, if you go over 40, 45%, you're going to find yourself really kind of the profit margin is going to be too slim. And so, but there's a lot of different factors to consider because it could be, you got to look at taxes, expenses, and everything. And that's why that spreadsheet is there that'll show you kind of what you can afford to pay somebody. And, you know, this is a conversation that I've had with a lot of group practice owners is that they want to pay more. Well, then you need to charge more or get off panels or negotiate with insurance to improve the rate so that you can pay better as well. But sometimes it's not a money game. I want you to hear this, that not everybody is like, money does not solve everybody's problem when it comes to finding a job. Sometimes people also want quality of life, a safe work environment, the ability to thrive and learn and grow. You mm-hmm. offer so much more than money. And I do think it's important. Don't get me wrong. But we're you, all about <laughs> sustainable, laborable yeah. wages. Like we're all about that. But also, we want you to be offering so much more than that. Because mm-hmm. this, as a group practice owner, you're making an impact on the field. And this idea that we're the worst paid master's degree, you can either contribute to that data or you can start to influence that data and change it. Right. Mm-hmm. And really of like holding a higher standard of what quality care looks like. I've, I've had lots of group practice owners have to have the conversation. We don't just say yes to everybody. Right, we and really like, hey, your caseload's getting kind of high, and you have a lot of trauma cases. Mm -hmm. We, you know, holding a higher clinical standard, changing the way mental health care serves in your community are things that really, as a group practice owner, you get to own, and that's pretty amazing. Edna, what did you want to ask?
4: Can I? Yeah. Okay. Hi. Hi. Actually, um, I found. Both of you by doing some research on a uh, training class that I wanted to do for clinicians. Because I came to uh, private practice, you know, um, by not really being a clinician myself. I was more always on the administrative, you know, part of it. Mm. And even my schooling was on the business part of it. So I had the business piece. And um, but when I got into private practice, I had to become a clinician because that's the way, you know, I had to kind of like really make the money until I can build the practice. Mm. But unfortunately, you know, stuff happened and I ended up, you know, really being stuck doing the clinical piece and I wanted to transition. So I wanted to offer a, a training. So when I saw your, your class was like everything you're saying, that's what I wanted, you know, like, you know, I have seen it. Clinician burnout, you know, I was burnout. Even as the administrator, I felt powerless Helpless because we were talking about trauma and we were traumatizing the people working for us. So I wanted to do something different. But here's the thing, and and thank you again for last week because last week really was an eye opener for me because I was started, you know, to think about transitioning from cash. I mean, from uh, insurance to cash. But I want, you know, I'm in a point in my life, you know, I want to go the private. I mean, the group practice and do some training and do all that, but I have all your program and it's great, but there's so much information. And I was like, I don't even know where to be start. Right. (laughs) So, And that's where you can always just post and say,
0: here's where I'm at, I don't know where to start. And then I would say, Edna, I want you to do this lesson first and then come back to me and tell me how it goes. And then you're gonna do this one. And that's where in business school, you can get that personalized you know, we have the roadmap. I want you to follow that roadmap. And then we keep posting along the way during the live working session. So I can say, Hey, skip that. You know, right now I need you to do this, you know? Yeah.
2: I think this is the piece too, is like, we're trying to replace the income. Like what would be the most direct place, right? You're in the place of like, Hey, I, I'm getting some income from clinical work. I don't want to be stuck here. Um, I'm going back and forth between group practice and doing this training program. What if I was to do this training program? What would that really look like? Um, and we have the calculators for the training program. And even the regular, pro- the regular calculator that we have, if you got nothing out of that process, maybe it, you look at it and you go, well, the hourly doesn't make sense. But what you'll see is that we'll get clarity on what your gross income needs to be. So we'll look at the gross income. We'll know what you need to be bringing in monthly. And we can use that to then create the training program. Oh, how many people would I really want to be bringing into the training program? What does that really look like? And for us, of course, we want to hear more about the specifics of the training program. So we can give you some more specific advice. And this is one of the reasons why we love the working sessions too, is because yes, everything's in there, but sometimes it's like, internally, we're like, well, what about this? And I have this or that option. We're really good at like, at looking at the numbers, but also trusting our intuition. Right. I talked about Marcella earlier. Of, did I talk about her this time? Or who knows? I don't know. at some point I talked about Marcella. Maybe that was the last one um, where she came to us to start a course. And in her particular place, her, her caseload was so large It didn't really make sense. She didn't really have the time to do the course. And so she ended up creating this like amazing virtual group practice that has all of these employees all over California. It's amazing what she has done. And now she finally has a caseload where now she can launch the course and she's doing the training programs and she has the the business to support it too.
0: I think about like Sonila. So Sonila could have come to me and said, Hey, I want to start a group practice and a nonprofit. No, 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 no. And I would say to Sunila, you have time. Let's pick the first thing first, right? Get the group practice going. Pull yourself a little bit out of it to create the space, then for you to do the nonprofit or the course or whatever, right? So it's it's really understanding your circumstance. And then how do we do this in a way that you don't burn out? But every time we add an arm to the business, there's this like crunch period that you will feel, right? I think about Carrie Ann, when she pivoted to moving from um, contractors to employees, it's like, "Mm," or when Gina bought the building, there's this initial crunch (laughs) of like, oh God. And then, you know, because you're turning a corner, thinking of how it is to turn a corner, you got to kind of like, and then you can open into the new space, And so that it's sort of like, what corners do you want to turn first so that you're not trying, you're just never getting any breath in between so you can pace yourself. That's the other thing too. So if you have all these things you want to do, because many of us are creatives and we love doing tons of things. And sometimes it's not your business that you need to be doing that. in. you just need that in your own life to fulfill you. You don't have to monetize everything, but Let's say you want to do a lot of things. It's beautiful, but how do we lay a roadmap that allows you to do it well and to preserve yourself and your well-being through it? Yeah.
2: And I, and I don't think this is the case for Edna, but I know there are some of us that sometimes all of these diverse ideas are escapism because we've created something that like we don't love and is not workable. And so instead of fixing the thing that's right in front of us, we're fantasizing about yeah. the online course, or maybe I could do a podcast or I'll become an Insta famous or a TikToker or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things, but if they're an escape from this business and life that you've created, that you don't love, that's not going to work for you. Let's create a life that you love and let's create the next step, not as an escape, but just as like a next step, because you're really excited and you just know And this is one of the things that we do a lot with clients where we'll say like, okay, so let's put that in the parking lot um, while we fix this thing, you know, fix this first, right. Or fix fix this next. And then suddenly like you go back to the parking lot three months be like, oh, there's some space and be like, yeah, I don't remember what that was. Or I don't even like that anymore. Or you're like, oh, it's been three months. Like, yes, I'm so excited to get to that that's how you want to feel 3 months later if you if you don't feel like that 3 months later if you're like kind of confused or you're unsure that's a great sign that that was just a shiny object that wasn't going to do
1: anything for you yeah Gina. i i had this this experience and you know kelly talked about not monetizing everything like sometimes i think because we're in that place of being an entrepreneur and being creative and making our own paths we sometimes you know, keep it simple, stupid. Like sometimes that's the process. So I wanted to bring in provisionally licensed clinicians and I turned it into this entire process of needing to create a training program and all the things. Right. And then I talked about it with a couple of other business school colleagues and, and I think Miranda and everybody was like, why don't you just offer it as a position? <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That could work too. <laughs> So sometimes we get in our own way around some of this stuff when we're being creative. And I just want to like say, you know, sometimes the, the straightforward path is the path.
2: Yeah, there's, mm. it, it can be easy, right? This yeah. theme that's been coming up in, in my own life as well. Like it could be easy. Um, and I, and it's funny, even I, I will say this, and some of you may resonate with this. I had this realization basically in therapy and the realization initially was maybe it can be easy. Do you know from like, even that point, it took me a couple of months before it moved from maybe it could be easy than like, to like, it can be easy. I couldn't even say it can be easy, which isn't even, it is easy. I had to move from maybe it can be easy to it can be easy to it is easy. Like there's a whole process there. So if you're in that place of like, wow, everything's feeling really freaking hard right? Sometimes we have to like open up our awareness to, oh, maybe it can be easy. Maybe this hardness, maybe it is just a corner turning, but like, maybe this is a, a sign that like, this is harder than it needs to be. And how do I find the ease? How do I, maybe it's my reaction to the corner. Oh, this is so scary. <laughs> or maybe it's just like, oh no, like I'm trying to turn this corner at 90 miles an hour yeah, that's a little dangerous and you might spin out like that's, that's pretty intense y'all.
0: So like, let's figure out the space and, and get some perspective. And I do think that with time, those tight mm. turns get easier in the sense of like, Oh, I've been here before. Mm-hmm. How can I do this a little differently? So it doesn't wreck my sleep and my gut and all the things. <laughs> and then the next time, Oh yeah. we Oh yeah. That's that fear. come And it becomes more externalized and more of like, okay, this is my process. And then it slowly falls away and you don't need it any longer. Joy says, you just read my mail. I'm in provisional licensure, filling up teaching at my church and trying to write an online program and drowning. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot. So I know we have a few minutes left before we go into our general Q and a time, but um, I, what question do you want to ask them for their final? So
2: I want to ask this question for, for the final, since we just have a few minutes left, which is if there's somebody who was where you were before you found business school, who is like thinking, I don't know if this is going to help. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know about this. Is it, is it worth it? Is this really going to work for me? What advice would you have for that person? Who's like on the fence and just isn't sure if this could be the thing.
5: Are you worth it? That's what I would say. Are you? And then, and then that will open the door for, you know, because I think for me, I don't, I didn't think personally I was worth it or I was like putting other people in front of myself. And I do think that a lot of women in general do that or people that are excited to help. But if you're not helping yourself, and I know this is going to sound cliche when you put the oxygen mask and I have two babies and I'm like, oh my gosh, how can I put my oxygen mask? Right now, I have no guilt whatsoever when I go out or when I leave my kids with a sitter because I say when mommy's doing well, you're doing well. And that goes the same way with the, the practice. And then someone actually opening the door to having their own private practice because I think that the dilemma for me, at least, have, have been like, am I worth it to actually have all this? So It was a subconscious way of holding me back. Mm-hmm. And then now that I have all these opportunities, my life is day and night. I feel a lot more open and I'm able to enjoy everybody and including myself.
2: Mm, I love that. Yeah. So I love that question. Am I worth it? And I will just say you are worth it. If you need someone else external to say that you have been called to this profession, like this does not happen by accident. You Mm -hmm. have spent hours and years of your life. Um, You have a heart for this like you are worth it, whether it's us or somebody else, like whatever your dream is, like you're friggin' worth it. Like it's in there for a reason. And the more that you cut off from that intuition, the more you cut off from your compass, the more depressed, anxious, burnout, frustrated, miserable, mm-hmm. um, disconnected from your family, all of the things, the more spiritually deprived you will feel like all of the things start to happen. when We stop listening to our guides and our people and all the <laughs> things and our internal things it it just is a mess y'all like it does not work
0: <clears throat> Anne, okay.
2: i would say you know once you
3: you know admit you are worth it because you are the important piece is not only are you gaining you know life for yourself you're also gaining a huge community of support i mean i have met colleagues and friends and you know having the support of Kelly and Miranda on a regular basis, it's just important to know that all these people are here cheering you on, helping you, supporting you. And it's pretty amazing because it really does, you know, it just opens up, it opened up my heart. It really just opened up my heart to kind of receive all of this and know that, you know, all these people are here to support you and they're with you. And it's, it's a really fun community and it's a really loving one.
2: And we've gotten the beauty, like, I've gotten to meet Carrie Ann and her kids and her husband. She's come to visit and give us a hug in this office and all the things like you get to have these people that are part of your support network, like all over the country and all over the world um, that you can say like, hey, I'd like to come and like meet you. People will be delighted to see you. And then you can just, you know, it's a business trip. So you can write that out. Some people do that.
0: They do road trips and then (laughs) they check to see where business floors are along the way. And then. That way they meet with colleagues and write it off. Do all the things. Gina? I would say
1: as scary as it may be to make the investment, it's probably the best scary decision you'll ever make because it ultimately leads to a place of calm and satisfaction. And it also gives you, like Carrie Ann said, this incredible community of support that, I mean, Carrie Ann and I live, don't live that far away, even though she's in Connecticut and I'm in Massachusetts. And we've met in the middle for coffee, like that's just the way, which I didn't write off, but anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it just opens up so many avenues for you because you learn from other people, you learn from Kelly and Miranda, and you also learn about yourself in ways that you just can't do alone having the community, having the support and knowing that it's always there just gives you an opportunity to be vulnerable and then learn from that vulnerability that I don't think you can do kind of independent of the group. So that's what I've learned. And and I remember making that payment and being like, oh my God, this is like two months worth of salary. Like, can I afford this? It's the best investment I ever made.
2: Which is crazy, right? You're like, you've got four employees, you got a group practice, you're making 15 to $20,000 and you had a full caseload at the time. Like, like all the things you're literally paying people to work for, you Like, like, it's it's just a a crazy experience. And now to be like, oh yeah, easy
0: peasy. I want to say thank you to our business schoolers who have shown up and shared their stories thank you for being real. Like we don't sugarcoat this. That Hey, I in six months, I went from zero to seven figure, you know, no, this is a journey. It's a lifelong journey. We are here for the twisty Mm -hmm. turns, the rough patches, the humanness that comes with being a business owner. And I appreciate all of your vulnerability Mm -hmm. and just being honest and opening up about some of that. Um, And also, I just love that I've seen that we've gotten to watch you grow. Um, I get little little chills, Jennifer. I'm in boot camp and tap, and it's still so helpful for me to hear about other people's success. Oh, I'm so glad. So yeah. everyone has shared their appreciation. Thank you all for being Thank with you. us. Sending you much love. See you in business school. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout. Don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.